0: Today we're going to uh, conclude this series that started about a month ago called The Apprentice. It's a series based on the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul closes this letter, uh, the book in the New Testament, a, a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a younger protege of his, his apprentice, a guy by the name of Timothy. And he closes this letter by talking about a believer's attitude toward money and career. So, uh, giving the sermon the title this morning for the love of money. The believer's attitude toward money and career. Now, there is a show. There was a show called The Apprentice. The theme song was the OJ's singing this money, 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 money. You know, for the love of money. Uh, I think I'd heard that back when it was sung in the '70s. I'm not sure. I went and listened to it again, but that's not what we're talking about. That's not where, why we're using this title for the love of money. We're referencing one of the verses, one of the phrases in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which says this, "For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." Of course, money is not a problem. I like to have a little of it around, don't you? I like to know I'm gonna be able to pay my bills and buy my groceries and and those kinds of things. So money is not bad. Having money is not a bad or an evil thing. But the love of money is where the problems come in for us. And we live in an affluent society. We have have lots of stuff. Uh, We're in the top 2% in the world as far as wealth Is concerned, even though many of you might consider yourself poor. Uh, But money uh, does create issues for everybody, or the love of money. Now, in this uh, chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, something I referenced last week, there's another one of those cultural values that has dramatically changed over the years from the time of the Apostle Paul to 2019. Paul talks about slavery in a couple of verses in this chapter, and he talks about it in a rather matter-of-a-fact way. Uh, some people wonder why neither the Apostle Paul nor any other biblical writer condemns the evil institution of slavery. But we have to try to put ourselves into the mind of this first century Roman citizen. Even though Paul is writing by the inspiration of God, he's still a man of his time. He couldn't possibly envision a world in which slavery does not exist. And by the way, it still exists today, just not formally in our country. But he tries to mitigate the institution that dominates the world. At the time Paul was writing to Timothy, about 40%, 40% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. The world economy was built on slave labor. During the first century, when Paul was writing, the church had no political influence. Christians were being persecuted, imprisoned, and by the end of the first century, taken into the Roman Colosseum and torn apart by animals. They were hardly in a position to demand social change. While Paul acknowledges the existence of slavery, by the way, he's not condoning it in any way. He never refers to slavery as a good or beneficial institution. He refers to it in the the verses we're going to read today as being under the yoke of slavery or under the burden of slavery. So he saw slavery as a burden. And then he says things that were radical for his time. He tells slaves to work for your master as though you're working for God. And then usually he will come back and say something to the masters, such as he does in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9, where he wrote this, and you masters... Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Uh, that was, uh, people didn't understand that concept. Before God, everybody is the same. We understand today that slavery is wrong and that no person has the right to own another person. and whether you own a person or whether that person just works for you no person has a right to misuse the right to misuse or abuse another individual one reason we understand that today by the way is because the writers of scripture taught the dignity and equality of all people as God directed them even when Paul was telling slaves and masters how to treat one another he was planting the seeds of change which we have realized today. For instance, he said this when he wrote his letter to the church of the Galatians. He said this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So we will seek the underlying principles in these verses as they apply to us. We're not glorifying or magnifying or saying there's anything good about the institution of slavery. So we're gonna look today at this. We're gonna look at three principles underlying our attitude toward career and money. Those are pretty important things. The money you have to spend, to save, to give, uh, the career, the job that you pour your life into, those are really important things. And here's the first principle we're gonna look at, which is just this, do your job with integrity. Whatever your job is, put your all into it. Uh, Don't be halfway about anything you do. Do your job with integrity. Here's how Paul started 1 Timothy chapter six, verse one. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Look at that for a minute. Under normal circumstances, masters and slaves had no contact with each other outside of the institution of slavery. But then Jesus came along and then the gospel was being preached and masters were being saved, and slaves were being saved, and they ended up in the same church together. What do you do with that? How how do you deal with that particular thing? It created some unique problems, and since the use and the abuse of power is first of all and foremost a a problem of attitude, Paul wrote repeatedly about, about how slaves should see their masters and how masters should see their slaves. Usually, when he counseled the slave to submit, he also counseled the, uh, the, the master to properly take care of his slaves. But in this passage, Paul just gives counsel that the slave should consider your master worthy of full respect. And here's the reason he gave. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Here's the principle behind that. Social goals and social goals are good. Social goals should always be subordinate to spiritual values. Our influence for Christ on this planet is more important than getting our way socially. It's more important than getting our way politically. It's more important than getting our way economically. Social goals should always be subordinate to spiritual values. Now, how does this all relate to this this subject we're talking about work and money today? Well, Almost everybody, let's, let's, uh, you're not a slave, but a lot of you have a boss. And if you are a boss, you have a, another boss. Somebody is always telling you what to do. Almost everybody thinks at some point in time that their boss is incompetent and ineffective and they can do a better job than he or she is doing. And certainly they, don't, they feel like that person is not worthy of their respect. But the idea that comes through here is treat your boss with respect whether they deserve it or not. It says more about you and more about your character than it says about your boss. Sometimes it is hard to respect people. They definitely do not deserve it, but if you show them respect anyway, it can bolster your testimony. If you wait for the perfect job and the perfect boss to give your all, guess what? You'll be waiting all your life and you never will give your best to anything. And so the principle here is, give it your best. It may be a bad situation, but give it your best anyway. You may be looking for another job, hope you find one. But give it your best anyway. Give your best to your job and to your boss today. And then Paul expands a little bit in the second verse. He says this, those who have believing masters. Now, he was, he was talking about good guys, bad guys before anybody that happened to be your, your boss. Now he says, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they're fellow believers. You know, sometimes we think, well, he's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we go to the same church together or whatever, he ought to give me a break. He ought to cut me a little slack. No, Paul says, don't disrespect them just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and to, uh, to Insist on his Paul's thoughts were foreign to their day and probably foreign to us too. Rather than expecting special treatment and concessions from a believing master, he said, Work even harder than you did before. Uh, if your boss is a believer, don't try to get away with doing less, he's a believer. Do more for him, work even harder. Three out of my four years that I spent as an undergraduate in college, I worked for a Christian boss, um, I'm not gonna tell you his name, but he was so good to me, I look back on that, I can't, I, you know, if I was to start telling you stories about how good that guy was to me, he was a deacon in our church, it's just unbelievable, because I, I wasn't that good of a worker, but he was so good to me uh, that uh, I, I, I'm trying to find out if he's, and figure out where he is and if he's still alive, and if he is, I'm planning still to go to see him and thank him one more time before he dies for all the good stuff that he did in my life. I know that I didn't respect him properly and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't fully appreciate him, but I can do it better now. The underlying principle in Paul's words to the slaves in Ephesus is that Christians need to do their jobs with integrity, not slacking off, but even working harder if their boss or their master happens to be a Christian. So, do your job with integrity. What does that have to do with God and scripture? Well, evidently a lot. Uh, it's important. Your job's important and how you do it's important. Number two, he says, manage your money with contentment. Ta- there's more verses about this than the other two subjects, so I'll take a couple more minutes on this, but not a lot longer. After his comments concerning slaves, Paul actually... Returns to the subject he's been around, which is false teachers, and the last thing he says about false teachers is that they look in verse verse five that they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They think being a Christian and going to church and uh, uh, acting, you know, more like Christ, uh, I can make money doing this. You know, I'll 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 be able to network and do this or that. Uh, That's the way greed was their core motivation, these false teachers, their core motivation uh, for serving God. And I, put, I would put that in quotes. Previously, by the way, back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and elsewhere in the writings of the apostles, it's, it's clear that whoever's leading the church, whoever's leading the congregation, needed to be free from the love of money. They don't have to be indigent, but they need to be free from the love of money. And so that leads Paul to this discussion of, Contentment. By the way, if you've been in one of our house groups, uh, some are finished and some of us are still working on it. But uh, we're, we're doing a series, a video series called "Satisfied," and that's what it's all about: is being satisfied. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the The thought of contentment. And here's what the way Paul begins his discussion, verse 6, 1 Timothy six six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So the truth of the matter is that Godliness is not a a way to gain, to to gain money. Godliness is itself a gain, especially when paired with contentment. Godliness is a word that just means reverence or respect, and and it speaks of living your life reverencing God in everything that you do. Contentment is that sense of self-sufficiency that says, and I'm going to take this from our from our study because I'd like to draw more of you into it in the future uh, it says I am good with it and I'm good without it right uh, I, I am good with this and I'm gonna enjoy it while I have it but if God takes it away I am good I'm fine without it, it doesn't change me as a person it doesn't change my attitude toward God in any way uh, Most of us know the 23rd Psalm. You know, David wrote the 23rd Psalm and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's saying there is that God's the one that takes care of me and I don't need anything else. That's it, I don't need anything else. That's 100%. So think about this, verse seven. "For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now it's true that we're born into different socioeconomic situations, but we're all born naked. When Archer came into the world, he didn't have a stitch of clothes on. Just like every other baby that's ever been born. When we die, we get put in different kinds of boxes and buried in different kinds of places. But the body still goes back to the dust from which was, it was originally created. And the spirit returns to the creator, to the maker. Now, there have been a lot of documentaries here recently. I've watched some of them. I find it fascinating. Uh, I think they've entitled them The Lost Treasures of Egypt where they go into the valley of the kings and the tombs of the nobles and so forth. And these pharaohs and nobles of Egypt buried a lot of stuff with them, boats, gold, jewels, tools, all sorts of things. And, And it was buried with them so they could take it with them into the afterlife and use it in the afterlife. Guess what? It's all still there. It was left for the grave robbers who were the first to come in, and the archaeologists who were the second to come in. Uh, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. it we may have a fancy funeral and be buried in a nice box. I didn't say "ice box. I said a nice box there, by the way. And we might be buried in a nice box. But we're not taking anything with us. It, it, all, it all gets left behind now. I've often said, while well, you can't take it with you. You can send it on ahead. And we do that by using what God gives you to serve him and to serve others. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But think about this. Since we, what we have in this life doesn't directly influence what we'll have in the next life, he says this in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We all have basic needs. If you don't eat, you die. If you don't drink, you die. If you don't have a place to live, you eventually are going to die from the elements. So he says, but if we have that, if we have food and clothing, if we have something to nourish our bodies and protect us, we'll be content with that. Now, it's difficult. We look around. Everybody's got a lot of stuff, and we want some of that stuff, right? I'm fine with it. I'm fine without it. Now, I'm not saying I've got that down perfectly, all right, because I kind of like some stuff, uh, but I'm, I'm, this, we're talking about the ideal here, the way that we all would like to be because verse 9 says this, those who want to get rich, if, you, if money, money, money is what your life is about, but getting money, making a lot of money, boy, I, I could can, I can buy this kind of a car, I could live in that house, if that's what your life is all about, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts that plunge people into ruin and and destruction. Verse 10 says, for the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. No thing, no human relationship, no job, No amount of money brings lasting fulfillment and peace. It always takes a little bit more than what you have. Whatever you have, is not enough. You may have thought at one time, if I had this much money put aside, I could relax. But you always need just a little bit more. When we think that money or something we can buy with money is worth more than serving God and serving others, we will, as the apostle wrote, wander from the faith and pierce ourselves through with many griefs, it'll be miserable to exist. So here's what we should do. Paul advises Timothy to do this in verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11. but you, man of God, he's speaking to this pastor, but you, man of God, flee from all this, run as fast as you can in the other direction from this idea that if I'll just make enough or get enough or, or do enough, I'm gonna be happy and feel safe one day. Run away from all that. Instead, run after, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Instead of chasing money, you need some. Instead of making money what your life is all about, make righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness the goal of your life. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Giving uh, uh, gaining eternal life, by the way, has nothing to do with fighting the fight of faith, but living out that life on this earth has everything to do with serving God. Verse 13, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Uh, and Jesus, during his trial, he, it, it came out, he, this is God on earth who came to die for your sins. I charge you, verse 14, to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, which God will bring with him, bring about in his own time. God, Now, now notice this description of God. We're talking about material things here. God, the blessed and only ruler of the universe, right? I put the universe in, but the blessed and only ruler, king of kings and Lord of lords, who alone, verse 16 says, is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. You cannot see the essence of God, though we've seen, we, we've seen representations. Jesus represented him on earth. To him be honor and might forever, amen. That's the, the most important thing. That's the focus that our life should be on. Now, you can enjoy stuff, we're gonna get that. You should enjoy stuff, but do your job with integrity and manage your money with contentment. Manage your money with this idea I can live with it. I'm okay without it. I'm okay with it. It's not gonna control me. I'm okay without it. One more thing. This is it. Number three, leave a legacy of generosity. Be known as a generous person. When you leave this planet, be known as a giver, not a taker. Paul's final thought is on the how of, how can I do that? I'd like to be content. I'd like to be okay with it and, and okay without it, but whoo, man, I'm still working on that. I, I'm still working on that. But Paul talks about that. He has already commanded Timothy. He says, all right, if you wanna learn how to do that, then work on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then his last few words for those who are rich in this present world, and that's us. We are rich in this present world by the way uh, in our house group I mentioned our house groups in this study satisfied one of the aspects that we studied was how to deal with the problem of affluence how to deal with the problem of having stuff every person in this room as I mentioned before has more stuff and more money than most people on this planet have are we supposed to feel guilty about that or are we supposed to say to others, sorry, I got it, you don't. I'm keeping mine. What is our attitude supposed to be? Along that line, Paul says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, good. I'm glad, huh? I, I, I want to be able to enjoy the stuff God gives me, the blessing, don't you? It's okay. He, he provides us with all this stuff for our enjoyment, but don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're better than somebody else because you have more stuff than they have, because that's not true. Some of the best people who have ever lived on this planet have never had anything. Jesus didn't own a thing. What you have has little to do with your goodness before God. Now, he may give you uh, a lot of stuff if he does it so that you can enjoy it and then share it with others and do good things with it. He may only give you uh, what he can trust you with. Maybe that's why some of us don't have more. You may honor him more and help him more by having less. I don't know. But don't be arrogant. Don't look down your nose at somebody because they don't have what you have. Here's another don't. Don't put your hope in wealth. No, not me. I don't do that. My hope's in Jesus. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you feel better and safer, and do you rest better when you got more money in the bank? I do. Do you? Do you feel better, and do you rest a little bit better if the stock market is up, and your investments, you know, make you feel richer? Why is that true? Well, it's because it's really hard. It's hard, difficult on this planet not to trust in wealth, right? Not, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. Uh, it's okay to enjoy the stuff that God has given us. You know, enjoy your house and your car and your boat when you go out on your boat and, and your motorcycle when you ride it. I think that's perfectly okay to enjoy. You know, enjoy your stuff. But the best way to live is this, to put your hope in God. I think sometimes that's the easiest thing when we don't have anything. When you start getting a lot of stuff, Jesus said it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because they trust in their stuff. But i tell you what, I know a lot of poor people that trust in their stuff. So I don't think it has much to do with how much stuff you have. Enjoy it. Appreciate what you have. But put your trust, put your hope, put your confidence in God because the stuff... They're not going to make you happy. The stuff is going away. That stuff, you're not going to take it with you when you die. It's going to be like the Valley of the Kings in, in Egypt. Somebody's going to dig it up one day and there it is, still right there in the ground. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me suggest this right here. The way to put your hope in God rather than in money is to put your money where God wants you to put it. Here's what the apostle said in 1 Timothy 6, 18. Command them, that is, those who are rich in this present world, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. It doesn't say command them to feel guilty about it or, or command them to go live a life of poverty. It doesn't say that. It says command them to do good, to be rich. They're rich in, in material things. Be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share. Enjoy what God has given you, but acknowledge that He gave it to you and don't make it all about you. Instead, be rich in good deeds. Give some stuff away. Use what you have to help others. Be generous and willing to share. Be wise. Uh, you know, we can foolishly give stuff away. Be wise but always be generous and looking for the opportunity to share. Remember earlier I said you can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead? Well, here's the verse. When he talks about uh, rich in good deed, generous and willing to share, verse 19, he follows with this. In this way, by, by putting God first, by being generous with what you have, by sharing what you have, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation the age to come so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life you want to really know what it's like to live the life that God made us to live be generous and willing to share laying up treasure because ultimately this is what we know here but this life is you can't really say it's short in comparison to eternity because eternity you know is unending we We just can't, you can't even make a comparison, but eternity is eternity. Last couple of verses, just because this is the way the apostle concludes. Timothy, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. grace, Be with you all. This letter was supposed to be read for the congregation. And I say to you, grace, the grace of God, be with you all. Do your job with integrity. Number one, do your job with integrity. Number two, manage your money with contentment. And number three, leave a legacy of generosity because it's not going to be about what you got, but what you gave away when you leave this planet. By the way, so what, whatever happened to Timothy, by the way? What happened to this guy? Well, As far as we can tell, he stayed on in Ephesus and took care of the church there for at least the next 30 years after receiving Paul's lesson. At some point in time, we don't have this, the, the, the going into jail recorded, but in some point in time, he was put in prison like his mentor Paul, mentor Paul. We only know that because in the closing verses of the book of Hebrews, it talks about him getting out of jail. You can't get out if you weren't in, right? So at some point in time, he went to jail somewhere, this is not in scripture, but it, this is in, uh, uh, outside the Bible sources. Sometime around the year 90 AD, when Timothy was an old man, he protested or as the story goes, a licentious festival dedicated to the goddess Diana or Artemis, the goddess of the city of Ephesus. Because of that, it made people so mad that they took this old man they drug him through the streets of the city of Ephesus and they stoned him to death outside of the city. Unfortunately, that's how many Christians, especially Christian leaders, ended their life in the first century. He lived his life for God. Uh, he ended up getting drugged through the streets and stoned to death. That's not the way I want to go, but that's the way he went. Uh, and I know that God will reward him for that. I wish he, it could have been better for him, but maybe it couldn't be any better. Timothy began his life as the apprentice to the Apostle Paul, and he ended his life as a great leader in the kingdom of God, one who gave his life for Christ and will be eternally rewarded for that. And the whole point of what we've talked about over the last four weeks, six weeks, is that you can take the same journey. That means living a life of love love and mercy and transformation. It means wanting for others what God wants for them uh, instead of thinking about ourselves only. It means dedicating yourself to becoming a, a person of character and training yourself to be godly. It means taking care of other people. And it means taking care of yourself in the ways that we talked about today. To do your job with an attitude of integrity. Manage your money with an attitude of contentment and to leave a legacy that's built on generosity and I say to you again the last thing that, that Paul wrote to Timothy grace be to you all may God use you greatly as you follow the example that he left forth many places in scripture but we'll reference now in the book of first Timothy let's pray father I know you're here with us today and I thank you for that We've celebrated the fact that uh, Chris has returned safely. We celebrate the fact that a couple of our good buddies are now in your presence. We celebrate the fact that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And I ask you to guide us in being what you want us to be. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.